Best Book Bits brings you Joshua Humphreys, a writer of novels, plays, histories, essays, text messages, self-assembling furniture instructions, sarcastic letters to yoga instructors, globetrotter, entertainer, comedian, educator, ex-Australian, and long-lost friend. Joshua, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thanks, Mecca. Very good to be here. No problem. Uh, for those of you who don't know the real Josh Humphreys, give us a brief recap of you and your journey so far. Uh, so I'm a, primarily a comedy novelist. It's kind of a literary genre that I've been building over the last five or six years. Uh, halfway between sitcom and comedy film, an elegant literary novel. They meet in the middle and you're, uh, well, theoretically laughing as you're reading, as though you're watching a comedy film. And, uh, yeah, for the last six years, I've uh, been traveling the world, writing those as best I can. Where have you been? <laughs> that question is, a, is an odyssey in and of itself. Since, since 2013, I actually have a pie graph that I uh, worked out recently out of extreme boredom. Since 2013, I've spent 25% of my time in Vietnam, 25% of my time in London, and then it diminishes from Bangkok, Italy, Greece, and then Cambodia, and then the uh, the rest. So they've been the main you're recently, haunts in the last. You are recently in Mexico, and you actually got robbed in, in Mexico and then had to get the hell out of there before <laughs> uh, COVID locked you down. Talk about that. Yeah, in, uh, that, was, that was the most stressful life of my, uh, week of my entire life. I'd gone to Mexico to break up that pie chart, to just throw something in there, throw something random in there. And uh, my second week there, my wallet got stolen. I found out my ex-girlfriend was stalking me. And then coronavirus hit as hard as it uh, hit. And so I had to, I had to hightail it out of Mexico and <laughs> get the fuck out of I had no access to any money whatsoever. And the, actually, the only thing that saved me was being an author. As I was looking for my wallet where I thought I lost it, I heard a voice uh, behind me saying, uh, are you Joshua Humphreys? And it didn't register at first, and they said it again. And I turned around. I looked properly homeless. I was all frazzled. I was sunburned because I'd been looking for my wallet for three hours. And this girl says, you're Joshua Humphreys, right? I'm reading uh, Exquisite Hours, one of your novels. And I just looked at her and said, oh, my God, you're about to save my life. Because I had to borrow from her the money I needed to get to the airport to leave Mexico. Otherwise, I would have had no access to any money whatsoever. You had no idea? About what? And you had no idea who she was, but she was reading your book in Mexico. That that's amazing. It's happened. It's happened a couple of times actually. Uh, but yeah, I had no idea who she was. She was reading uh, exquisite hours. So how many how many books you've written so far? Is it six or is it is it more than that? Uh, it's one, two, three, and four comedy novels. And I wrote a Shakespearean rom com in Shakespearean English. And I've released a history of Venice as well, a short history of Venice. So however many that however many that is one two three four five, so far. Yeah, wow. Well, I'm going to take the audience back a little bit. So for those of you who don't know Josh Humphreys, uh, being an ex-Australian, he's actually a Melbourneian. We actually went to school together at Glaston Park Secondary College. A shout out to everyone who graduated <laughs> in 2003 with me and Josh. Uh, we have a history together, uh, going back to playing football. At lunchtime at schools and, and being very close friends, uh, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. And then Josh went off to do, what did you do after 2003? Where, where did the story begin after you left school? I went straight to university. I went to 
Latrobe did environmental science for a year and a half. Uh, but I, I've always been obsessed with history. And I hated the, the science degree so much that I was skipping tests and, and lectures and stuff to go and read history books in the library. And I remember I had a, I had a, um, a test on bushfire behavior. And I just could not be asked doing it. So, and I went to the library and I, was, I spent the hour and a half reading a book on the American Civil War. And I realized that I should probably switch degrees. So I took the rest of the year off, came back to the history degree. That, was, that took me four years because I went to Europe for uh, four or five months. Graduated 2010, I think, with a history degree from La Trobe. And then when did your travels begin or what did you do after 2010? Uh, at the end of 2010, I was doing stand-up comedy and I was doing uh, theater through university. And it was um, kind of like sketch comedy, very Monty Python-influenced, uh, probably too Monty Python influenced. And then uh, I had a show that I was going to take to the Fringe Festival that year. And the show was in rehearsals. And halfway through rehearsals, I uh, one of the girls in the cast had brought in a novel. And in a five-minute break, I picked up that novel. And by the end of the first page, I realized that I, I didn't want to be doing sketch comedy and stand-up. And I wanted to write funny novels. Because the, by the end of the first page, I, I knew immediately that this was funnier, smarter, and better than what I was doing. And I didn't like that feeling. So uh, I then quit the show, called the show off. And what was the process of... Mm. Yeah. No, keep going. Oh, yeah. I quit the show, called the show off, then took a year to uh, basically teach myself how to write novels. And then it wasn't for another three or four years that I actually managed to uh, come up with one that I was okay with calling a novel. And what was the first uh, What was the first book? What was the title of that one? The one I burnt and threw away or the one I, I uh, actually released? Yeah. Uh, the one I burnt and threw away was called Winter's The one you uh, burnt away and the one you released? The one I burned and threw away was called Winter's Cost. So you've done six books. Yeah. And that was uh, the title was from an Isaac Rosenberg and poem. why'd you throw it away? Because it was shit. <laughs> uh, it was just, it wasn't very good. It was my first attempt at anything at all. And it was just me basically learning how to string sentences together coherently. Uh, but the, yeah, I think in 2014, I released uh, Waxed Exceeding Mighty. Mm-hmm. which is officially my first comedy novel. And uh, how was that received? What, what was that like sort of getting that out into the marketplace and, and sort of labeling yourself as an author and, and promoting the book? Its release died on its ass. I, uh, I knew I didn't have much of a following or a readership or anything. So I came, up with a, I came up with a marketing device that I called Steal This Novel. And what I did was I, would, I had a largest social media following so I, I bought, I think I used all the money I'd saved up to buy uh, 50 or 100 copies of the novel. And then I would put it into bookstores in London, take a photograph of it. And then when I walked out, post it on social media with the hashtag, steal this novel. And I would tell people where it was and they could go and steal it from a bookstore and read it. That's fantastic. Uh, but yeah, it didn't, 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 re- didn't reach a large audience. Though. Well, I've actually seen you on social media dress up as a, a mermaid. Do you want to touch on where the mermaid outfit came from? <laughs> Yeah, so <laughs> so the second novel, Exquisite Hours, uh, which got accepted by a literary agent, but I told the literary agent to uh, stuff himself and released it myself as well. 
And I, I don't know, one day I think maybe I was in the bath or something. There's a scene in the novel where the main character, uh, who is a inveterate but very skilled liar, she is telling a guy that she's hanging out with that she used to work as a mermaid. And I just had this idea to dress up as a mermaid and read from the book. And so I bought a mermaid costume off eBay and then spent the better part of a, summer, a Melbourne summer, my last Melbourne summer, uh, reading from the book while dressed as a mermaid. Um, talk to me about your mental state back in the day. <laughs> like being an ex-Australian and people probably from... <laughs> Uh, smoking a pipe, drinking, um, traveling around the world, dressing up as a mermaid, uh, all to promote your books and also uh, talking about a genre that a lot of people aren't vested into mm. or, or don't know a lot about history and obviously you – it's talk to me a little bit about that or did you receive any flack from people from the past or you obviously you uh, – Back then yeah. I, I, I got called a couple of times a shameless self-promoter. But the fact of the matter is, if you are a, a novelist or a writer working with a, an agent and a publisher, you have entire industries geared to the promotion of your work. And if you're doing it yourself, you kind of have to think outside the box. You have to really push it. And if I, I, I didn't do that with the first novel because I didn't kind of believe in it 100%. But Exquisite Hours, I knew to be uh, kind of so good that I could back myself and really just convince people any way I could to read it and the response was uh, overwhelmingly positive so it kind of paid off the mermaid costume paid for itself the, eventually yeah perfect well it it, uh, it funds your travels with the with the book sales I know you've traveled the world on book sales alone but you've also done um, you're an expert in Venice do you want to talk a, a little bit about that yeah so um, I was talking one day to a woman who ran uh, wellness retreats in uh, all over the world, a yoga kind of yoga clown. And I was talking to her about Venice and how much I loved Venice and how much I knew about it. And she said, oh, my God, this is amazing. I would love for you to take me on a tour around Venice. And the actual writing of the novels, can, it only takes up about six months of my year. Uh, it's a very intense but short process. And so for the other six months, I don't have very much to do. I thought, what if I gave to people my, my kind of love for Venice and everything I knew about Venice? So I turned uh, everything I knew into a, an architectural and artistic history of Venice. And then I just kind of said, who wants to come to Venice? I'll take you on a tour of Venice. And that turned into a thing as well. And then last year with COVID, I uh, realized that that was over because nobody was traveling to Italy anytime soon to hang out with a stranger. So I turned it into a, a virtual tour. I went to Venice with a, what are they called, a gimbal and an iPhone. And I filmed the tour in Venice uh, as though you're on the tour, kind of first person perspective, uh, with Venice completely empty of tourists, not a single tourist. So it's a, that ended up being a completely unique experience. And the tour still can be taken at any time uh, through my website. So people can access that, the, the peopleless Venice tour by Joshua Humphreys, correct? Yeah. It's called The Stones of Venice Tour. I think if you Google it or if you find it through my website, you can sign up to take it. It comes with a Q&A with me uh, so that I can answer any questions that are not answered by the, I think it's six hours. It's a six-hour walk through empty Venice. 
Wow. And you're in Greece at the moment, correct? Doing the Stones of Athens tour. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So um, the same principles of history and art that I uh, used for the Venice tour, I'm transferring to a history of ancient Greece. Uh, but instead of art and history, it's philosophy and history. So it takes you to the narrative history of ancient Greece, uh, woven through its philosophical strands. And it'll be, it's filmed as well as though you're walking around, you know, ancient Sparta, ancient Messini, ancient Athens. Yeah, well, and um, you're also a spending time in Vietnam on the motorcycle. I've seen some footage back in the day of that, which was fantastic. And doing the Anchor Watt tours as well. Is that correct? So you're a man of many talents? Yeah, so I have a motorbike waiting for me in Vietnam. Uh, my, it's my most beloved possession. Uh, and when eventually Vietnam opens after COVID, I can go back to it. Uh, but I also am going to do a, the same kind of tour, virtual tour of the history of Cambodia and Thailand. They're very intertwined. Um, but I can't do it until COVID is kind of at least a little bit over. So until then, Greece. And how's Greece treating you so far? How long have you been in Greece for? Uh, just, uh, I think I've been here a, a month this time. I was here for four months last year, a few months before that. I love Greece. It's like I, uh, it's like I invented the country before I even got here. Like I said, all right, what do I want in a country? I want unlimited tzatziki. I want unlimited grilled meat. I want uh, perfect weather, perfect beaches. And uh, yeah, so it's where I'm calling home for the next long while. And the women, and the women aren't too bad as well. <laughs> women, I don't know about that. <laughs> Some of the women. You see when you walk down the street, kind of bring a smile to your face. <laughs> the uh, the eyebrows is often in the singular. Well, I spent I spent some plural. time in uh in in I spent some time in Greece myself in 2012, and I was there with my lovely wife. We lived in uh, Europe, and I was, I was UK and travelled Europe and went to Greece. And you know Athens is amazing, and you know Mykonos, Delos, and and all the islands as well. Uh, Santorini, uh, yeah, beautiful place. So you're in Athens at the moment, but will you be doing island hopping soon or any any tours apart from Athens or anything like that? No, I'm actually in southern Greece. I'm in uh, man in the Mani Peninsula. It's uh, it was the last part of Greece converted to Christianity. It was the first part of Greece to rebel against Turkish occupation. It's very quiet, very picturesque, and uh, yeah, no, not Athens is too big. Athens is too. Uh, hot, too loud. I need peace and quiet in order to work efficiently. Yeah, understand. And, and tell us about your obsession with the pipe. And yes, not the pipe as what other people might think about, but talk to me about your writing <laughs> and smoking a pipe. Uh, my grandfather smoked the pipe his whole life. It's one of my earliest and fondest memories of him uh, putting sugar on his cornflakes while he's smoking tobacco in the in the in the kitchen. That'd been a sight to see. And then uh, when I, I had one of his pipes after he died, what's that? I said that would have been a sight to see, a, a bit of cereal in the morning with a, a pipe out the side of your mouth. It was a sight to see, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I had one of his pipes after he died. And then um, I think one day in kind of 2011 or 12, I gave it a go. And I found it mildly pleasant. And then when I went to write my first novel, I took a, uh, my own pipe with me to Vietnam. And it just became a habit. It's very uh, conducive to thought and concentration. 
And I am very fidgety when I work because I think most people don't realize the only writing is just literally sitting still for about six hours straight. And I'm very fidgety and the pipe kind of centers my attention and allows me to concentrate for extended periods of time. Yeah, absolutely. You guys have said, I, I've uh, written a book myself, took 13 years to write, and one of the hardest things I've ever had to do is to actually sit down with your own thoughts. And uh, yeah, I uh, released it last year, wrote it in 2007, uh, six editions, and uh, there it is for my audience who know what it is, but Success in 50 Steps. Um, yeah, it's a, it, it's a, it's a, a good little book. If, yeah. Now, I want to talk about something which uh, a lot of people back at home probably don't know, but uh, one of the things that you're famous for is hacking the high school Wikipedia page. And just to refresh your memory about that, um, if you haven't, can you touch on a little bit about that? Yeah, so I, uh, it was actually after it. It was the year after I finished school and uh, I was hanging out with Slav and Rogers, who you might remember, and all of us were doing stand-up comedy together. We thought we were very funny. And then I think Wikipedia started to take off. And we all realized that uh, Wikipedia was open source. You could, you could dick around with its content as much as you wanted. And so I just went on there and, and had a field day with ripping into the old uh, school because it became something of, I mean, this, you, know, you know what the school was like. And then um, one day my dad, was on, my dad was on the school council for a long time. My sister was still there. And one day I was on, on the computer at home and my dad came upstairs and stood behind me and said, Josh, just, uh, you ever heard of Wikipedia? And I said, yeah. He said, go, go on Wikipedia and look up the school. And so I did and I immediately started sweating because I knew my dad was on school council. And he, he makes me bring up the page and he starts reading from it. He goes, who do you reckon's done that? And I kind of had to... Uh, I had to hide my laughter because I knew it was me, but he didn't. I don't know if anything, because it, it had come up at a school council meeting, basically. The principal had, uh, was up in arms that someone had hijacked it. Well, I've, got, I've, I've actually got the, print, I've, I've got the printout right oh, here, yes. and you basically um, write down some notable criminals who are at the school uh, for number one, and non-criminals as well, and, <laughs> and one of them... They're factual. They are factual. One of them was Borat as well, who went to the school. Another one was one of your fictional characters called Hector Grieve, mm. and obviously yourself, Joshua Humphreys, writer and comedian, author of Exquisite Hours. Yeah, that's obviously a, that's a, a much later amendment when I went to... Uh... I'll talk, you smoke. No, it's all right. I can smoke and talk. Yeah, absolutely. Now, it's totally changed, and, and, and I've to it's totally changed, and all that is now off the school website but yeah congratulations on on hacking the school uh wikipedia site now what what is the new cavalier reading society mm. that you speak about so uh the new cavalier reading society is essentially a uh well it's a reading society we we're all we're all members i am kind of i am its orchestrator and i have these books uh i can show you one they're books essentially of notes, uh, reading notes that I have accumulated over the last uh, 10 or so, 11 years now of uh, just the best bits from everything I've ever read. And all I pretty much do is read. And then each week, uh, so if you become a member, you get those books. It's the only way you can get them. They are the exclusive privilege of our membership. 
And then each week, I we all read the same uh, 25 pages from those books. And then I pick questions taken directly from the quotations. And we discuss uh, those questions as a group. And I kind of uh, impart to everybody the key fundamental political, philo philosophical, or literary issues that the questions and the readings uh, bring up. It's kind of like a very, it's a very efficient way of becoming conversant with the largest questions in the kind of Western philosophical tradition. Uh, we're currently in the middle of an ancient Greece semester. Yeah, perfect. Similar to a... Sorry. Similar to a, a mastermind of readers getting together and talking about um, talking about information through there. So I guess that's the easiest way to understand the topic. Now, you've done another four books we haven't touched on. So one is Grieve, the Creative Art of Wishfulness, mm. uh, to Save a Forest Virgin, and Imagine Treasures. Which one came? What was the third book? So the third novel is Grieve. I actually have a copy. I always travel with a copy of Grieve. That's uh, the story of Hector Grieve, who after gallivanting in Cambodia is a the angriest young man the in the world. Young man in the world, after gallivanting for seven or eight years as a private soldier in Cambodia, he's told that he's bankrupt and he has to go back home to Melbourne, where he's found out that his dad is dying. And so it's basically uh, someone who has been away from Melbourne for a very long time having to go home and finding a completely transformed place and a place that does not in any way align with his own uh, very old-fashioned values. Yeah, well. And, he, uh, and and the fourth book, which what was that about and uh, when did you write that? Uh, the novel after that, uh, sorry, the book after that was To Save a Forest Virgin, which was the Shakespearean rom-com written in iambic pentameter, Shakespearean English, set in Melbourne. Uh, mostly around Brighton and St Kilda. Uh, and, yeah, I thought that was going to be a bigger hit than it was, but it turns out people uh, people like to quote Shakespeare but not, not to read him. So I quickly moved on from that one. And then I turned the Venice... Yeah. Then I turned the Venice tour into a book, which is Imagined Treasures. Uh, it's kind of a... I called it a, a splendid history of Venice. Yeah, perfect. And I know the To Save a Forest Virgin was based on sort of Shakespearean, Shakespearean meets Sex in the City. Yeah. Um, but who knows? One day, one of your novels might get turned into a movie or a play. These things do take time. Um, and the creative art of wishfulness. Yeah. So was that, that the the last one. Yeah, that was the last comedy novel that came out uh, 2019. That was it's kind of the culmination of everything I've been doing for so long. It portrays the uh, artistic. The anonymous artistic life uh, as uh, personified mostly by my brother, actually. Uh, and the main character is a poor, struggling artist, painter, uh, toiling in obscurity in Bangkok. And then one day he accidentally meets a woman who runs wellness retreats in Bali. And she says, will you help me teach creativity on this wellness retreat? He says, absolutely not. She says, I'll give you $5,000. And so he jumps at the opportunity uh, just for the money. But it uh, turns out she's in love with him. Uh, he, when he gets there, falls in love with a much younger girl. And then he has to kind of navigate the jealousy of one woman, the craziness of another, just so he can get this five grand. And when he gets the five grand, he goes to India to paint his magnum opus, his one great work of his youth. 
And yeah, to, to tell you any more would be to spoil the story. But he invites the younger girl with him. And so they try and kind of travel in, through India in the midst of a new relationship uh, while he tries to paint his magnum opus. Wow. And uh, I know you spoke about your brother Samuel Humphreys, Sam Humphreys, which uh, I knew from back in the day. He's now uh, your artist for mm-hmm. the covers. But what else does uh, does Sam do? Mm. So he works primarily as a, he calls it a conservation illustrator. He draws uh, the natural environment in order to bring awareness to and raise funds for uh, disappearing ecosystems and the natural world. Uh, so that's what he does primarily when he's not working as my personal slave and illustrator. He did the cover for Grieve, which I think is uh, my favorite of the covers that he's done. If you can see the cover of Grieve, is based on Cambodian artistic motifs. And uh, uh, yeah, that's what, what Sam does, conservation yeah. illustrator. Awesome. I'll put the links in below so people can check out his artwork. What is Josh Wright book? What's that about? Uh, that's kind of, I guess that's my, uh, I guess you would call it my brand. I'm not really sure how that stuff works. But it's just because uh, it, it portrays that they're comedy novels. I write novels, but they're meant to be funny. And just the Josh Wright book is so inherently stupid that uh, it's the first introduction that most people have to um, to what I do. And the the my book of logs, what's what's that? That's uh, an archive of gallivanting uh, around the world, traveling, writing. Uh, is no, that what no. that is? That ah, oh, the blog you're talking about. Um, yeah, you, you call it the book of my logs. book of logs. Vlogs or blogs. Yeah, I can't remember how that came about. No, it's logs. I I think that's what I, I, at some stage. Are you still logging regularly? I think I at some stage. No, I'm not logging anymore. (laughs) uh, My logging license got taken off me by the the, uh, federal government. No, that's perfect. And what's what's next on the agenda for you? How many more novels are in you? I know you're the same age as me, uh, born in 85. 35, you're a November baby as well. So, um, how many uh, more? Yeah, you're do November we have as well. Of, uh, Josh I remember that left? stuff. That's right. That's right. Uh, next week, yeah, and next ca- week I start writing my next novel. And a kangaroo supporter as well. Yeah, a long time ago. I haven't watched a football match in a very long time. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm this week. I have I have all the notes ready. I, I'm uh, I've been working on a new novel for the last three years on and off. And, uh, Beginning Monday, I start writing the first draft for the next comedy novel. And that novel already has a sequel in the works. And where do people buy your books? Uh, mostly Amazon. Where, where, where can we find your books? They're, they're, I think all of yeah. them are on Amazon. Uh, you can buy them through Amazon and give Amazon half the money. Or you can buy them through my website, joshuahumphreys.com, and give Amazon less of the yeah, money. Perfect. I'll, I'll put the link below. That's where they are. They're, they're in bookstores. They're in some bookstores, mostly in the US. Yeah. And um, when are you coming back to Australia if any time? Is there any plans or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I no. haven't seen my family in uh, almost two years now because of COVID. And I will fly home as soon as they, Australia stops being uh, so pedantic about COVID. I refuse to fly home if there's mandatory hotel quarantine in place. So I won't be returning until that's gone. So I'm hoping neither of my parents get sick anytime soon. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know you were featured in the. Uh, you were actually featured in the news back home. You were one of the st- three Australians that uh, decided not to come home to Australia when lockdown began because it was a three thousand dollar ticket or up to even $5,000 ticket to come home and quarantine and you were in London and decided, you know what, I'm going straight to Mexico. So you went to <laughs> JFK, empty airport, straight to Mexico. Uh, I've read the article. Um, what was that experience like going back to COVID? And- um, I, think people, I think people in Australia are really struggling to understand the worldwide nature of COVID. In the countries where it's more rampant, it's not the main focus of the news or of people's mentality. Uh, they're just living with it. And it's not ubiquitous and abundant. You don't see it every day. It's not like uh, people are running through the streets, pulling their hair out, screaming. Uh, And I I just knew that Australia, with its political history, was going to be authoritarian, pedantic, uh, and condescending about it. And I knew I would get trapped there. So I knew very, very early that flying home was the worst possible alternative. I'd still be stuck there if I was there. And I'd have to be living on my brother's couch, which would be no fun. Yeah, we, we can't leave the country ourselves. So um, we, we, we're locked in Australia. It's not, a, it's not a bad place to be locked down to, but uh, still locked down nonetheless. Uh, I myself used to live in London for a year uh, back in 2012 and lovely place. And I know after Mexico, you went back to London as well. Where, whereabouts in London? In sort of greater London in, in the century, in, in the central or? Uh, normally in, in Battersea. Okay. I have friends and, and kind of a small network in Battersea, which is just south of the river. Uh, so I can normally find a couch to sleep on or a, or an empty flat to uh, rent for a short amount of time. Yeah, fantastic. And where's some of the um, where's some of the places that you want to go that you haven't been to yet? That's on the bucket list to become an expert and possibly do tours on. Is there anything on on your list in the future that places you want to see? Japan is the only uh, place on my list. It's the only, it's the one thing on my list, actually, Japan. Uh, that I've tried to get there twice, and both times, the month before, I'd booked flights, booked a week of accommodation, and both times, just purely by chance, uh, the month before I left, I spilt once coffee, once beer on my laptop and fried it. So instead of actually visiting Japan, I had to buy new laptops. So I couldn't go. So yeah, well. Japan's the only place that... Uh, I'm longing to get to that I've not yet been to. Yeah, perfect. Now, just a couple of final questions before we wrap up. Now, this is going to be a bit of an oddball one. Now, I know you're from London as well, and you've probably seen the TV show Come Dine With Me. Um, If you were to host a dinner party with three famous people from the past, who would they be and what would you serve them? Three famous people from the past. They have to be dead? They can be dead or alive. Up to you. Um... I think the first one would be John Ruskin. That's actually a good question. I don't know the answer off the top of my head. John Ruskin, who is the largest uh, kind of intellectual and artistic influence on me. I would love to have a chat with John Ruskin and I would love to get his take on 2021 and uh, the succession of events. He died in 1900. So I'd love to, I'd love to sit him down, tell him what happened and just get him to talk uh, after that. I don't know what I would... I'd probably serve him uh, roast lamb. This is the most substantial thing that I'm, I'm good at cooking. Uh, John Ruskin, three people. That's a lot of people, Mecca. Um, who else? That's okay. You, you, you can just have uh, you and John Ruskin as an intimate dinner with uh, 
with Rose Lamb. <laughs> Sounds way too romantic. He's a, he was a weird dude <laughs> in his personal relationships. Uh, John Ruskin. I would love to. I, I mean, I would love to have a chat with Hitler. I think it would be fascinating, just to see if you could actually hold a normal, regular conversation for twenty minutes without mentioning uh, Jews. But no, I wouldn't put Hitler on my on my top three. Uh, who else? Jesus, I guess, would be one of the big ones. Just to, uh, I guess, I'd be most interested in having dinner with Jesus in order to separate the way he spoke and the way people ended up saying that he spoke, just to find out if there's how much authenticity there is in the New Testament. Uh, General Patton, that's another one. I would love to have a, a, a lunch or dinner with General Patton. I'd serve him grilled meat. So I reckon that's what he would have eaten. Perfect. That's that's Although your three. There. That's your three. And and what's there you go. Jesus, Jesus, Patton, and Ruskin. Perfect. And uh, one final question: Was Shakespeare a real person? Absolutely. Anybody who thinks he wasn't is just uh, reading the wrong things. Yeah, and um, I don't I don't go in for literary conspiracy theories. That's okay. No problem. Um, now, Josh, where can people find you and, and follow <laughs> you on social media? Where, where do you hang out mostly on online? Uh, mostly on Instagram. Joshua Humphreys is my handle with uh, Vs instead of Us. Uh, same with my website, joshuahumphreys.com. I don't really use Facebook other than for personal stuff, but Instagram is where I um, keep my audience and readership abreast of everything that I'm doing. Yeah, perfect. So I think it's a good time to end it there. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, Joshua Humphreys, the man, the myth, the mystery, the ex-student from Glaston Park, ex-Australian, novel writer, <laughs> man of many talents, motorcycle writer, and international man of mystery. Josh, thanks for being on the thanks, show. Mika. and uh, lovely speak to, to you soon. Lovely to chat to you after 18 years. Thanks for uh, having me along. Has been a very long time. It's been time. too long. Thanks, Mega. No problem. Speak to you soon. See ya.